Am Yisrael Chai. Am Yisrael Chai. Welcome to episode 12, Surviving the Mass Shooting. After the United Nations experience, after I had the opportunity to actually give charity on the podium, and I poured my heart out and spoke everything that I felt God wanted me to say, and hoping that it didn't fall in deaf ears. As I was leaving the podium, I'm approached by Mr. Mike Evans, an evangelical minister who I previously met at the White House. And he flew to be at the United Nations to listen to my talk. And I discovered that he is actually Jewish. He was born to a Jewish mother. So I said, Mike, let's do another good deed today. I went with him to his hotel room and I prayed with him. I put on the tefillin, the leather boxes that we do when we pray. And I prayed with him. And he said he'll never forget that moment. That I took the time to go to his hotel room to pray with him. Straight from the United Nations. My experience at the United Nations was in a way that I just felt that I was a, a vehicle for God. That the words that I said are going to be words that will be spoken, and then I leave it up to God to do the rest. I was very humbled. I was very privileged. And I was very fortunate. This was all a short time after surviving a near-death experience realizing how you need to value every single day and to realize that every day is a miracle and a gift. This was probably one of my biggest events of my life, in addition of talking at the White House and doing all this public speaking to me was very humbling. And I went into what I refer to as soldier mode that whatever I need to do, I'm doing. Whatever comes my way, I will do. So I received invitations to talk in various cities in America. One of the most notable invitations that was seared in my memory forever when I got a call from the chief rabbi of Russia, Rabbi Beryl Lazar, says, Rabbi Goldstein, I have 800 students from the former Soviet Union throughout Eastern Europe who are part of a program that when they identify themselves as Jewish, and they study a certain curriculum throughout the year, then they earn a trip to travel Europe. So these 800 students are traveling Europe. The end of the trip 
would be spending Saturday in Croatia and then traveling to Auschwitz, to the concentration camp, Auschwitz-Birkenau. Rabbi Goldstein, we want you to join us for spending the weekend Shabbat with us, with these 800 students. And then we want you, we're asking of you, can you please talk to the students at the end of the trip, at the tracks, the end of the tracks at Birkenhow. We want you to talk to the students, to tell them what you dealt with and how you are dealing with it, and to empower them to be strong in their Judaism. We want them to hear firsthand from a survivor of a mass shooting. I recalled right away my experience when I left the White House, when I missed my flight, or the flight was canceled to San Diego, and we changed the plan to go to New York instead of San Diego. When I arrived at the gravesite of the Grand Rabbi Schneerson, when I walked into the reception office, there was a video playing, and that video was a talk that the Rebbe was giving about Auschwitz, about the Holocaust. And I stood there. I had tears rolling down my eyes. This was two o'clock in the morning. I just arrived from Washington. And at that moment, what video is being played is a talk that the Rebbe talks about the people who died as heroes in the Holocaust. Their souls live on forever. And the Rebbe was giving all encouragement how to survive after the Holocaust. And what we experienced at the mass shooting was a fraction, but it was a very minor Holocaust, but it was a Holocaust that the shooter came in with all intent to wipe us all out. So the message the Rebbe was talking about, you know, in the Rebbe's leadership, he rarely spoke publicly about the sadness of the Holocaust. He was more about the recovery. He was more about what do we do now? How do we move forward? This was the exception. And that exception, I happened to listen. So when I heard Rebbe talk about Auschwitz, and now I'm getting a call from the chief rabbi of Russia asking me to go to Auschwitz, there's no question in my mind that there's a connection that I need to go to Auschwitz. The Rebbe spoke to me at the cemetery about Auschwitz, means I need to go. Understandingly, that during all this time, I have not had any time to deal with my PTSD. I had no time to deal with my emotions, what I'm going through. I was on the run continuously. I accepted every invitation. I spoke via Zoom to Sydney, Australia, throughout the world. I continuously gave interviews. I did photo shoots. I just surrendered myself 
to do whatever I need to do to help humanity and to turn this terrible event to something more meaningful. After agreeing to go to Auschwitz, I was given my tickets. My wife kindly joined me because both of my hands were bandaged. I could really not function very well with my hands. So my wife was there to assist me both physically and emotionally. We traveled, we landed in Croatia and we joined these 800 students for a memorable and remarkable Shabbat services. Friday night, being in a huge banquet hall with 800 students was so electrifying, was so meaningful to think about all of these students are living in the Eastern Europe, are living in a former Soviet Union, deal with anti-Semitism on a daily basis, nothing like any of us deal with in the free world. And yet they are together, proud Jews. And what was so beautiful was that these are all grown college-age students, that during the course of the weekend, there are some engagements were announced where they pledged their lives to each other, a Jewish boy to a Jewish girl. And as they would propose during this weekend and make this commitment to each other, they would stand up on a table and everyone there would applause them and give a standing ovation and begin singing a wedding song to them. That was so beautiful. So beautiful to see the future of Judaism. The next day, doing prayer services, there was a very, very interesting event. So you have 800 students, and who do you call to the Torah? There are about seven people who would be called up during services. So the rabbi did something very clever. He said, okay, let's make an auction, and the highest bidder gets called up. What were they auctioning off? The rabbi said, pick your true choice. Take any commandment that you are pledging to, to begin observing. That would be your bidding. So one would start keeping kosher. One would start keeping the Sabbath. Various commitment. Two students came up and said, we have never been circumcised. They're in their 20s. We want to be circumcised. That is our auction. That's what we are paying for. We are committing ourselves to be circumcised. Everyone stood up in applause, and certainly they got called up to the Torah. What I didn't know was that the circumcision is going to be taking place the very next day, at Auschwitz, at the death camp, at the extermination camp, where six million innocent Jewish people perished, is going to be a celebration of a circumcision. What shocked me even more was that these two students had a special request, that they want me to be there as they are being circumcised, to hold their head 
in comfort, to bless them as they being circumcised. What an honor, what an incredible sacrifice for a 20 year old to go through a circumcision. And, and I have a chance to be at his head, holding his head during it. And this is what happened the next day. A moil, a, uh, a professional circumciser was there with his equipment and the bris ceremony occurred and I was there. Just imagine the emotions thinking about here's a young 20 year old willing to go through a circumcision and I'm witnessing it. I'm being part of it. At the place of death is the beginning of life. At the place of darkness is a little bit of light. Following, I had a tour through Auschwitz. I've never been to Auschwitz. I never had the intentions of being there. I, I'm just too emotional about it. There's no way I could have, I could commit myself to, to walk through and see firsthand the drenched soil of all the blood that was shed here and the torturing pain. I just, all my life, I never want, had a desire to be there in person, but I had no choice. God wanted me to be there. Kings, King David wrote in the book of Psalms, God decides man's footsteps. So for some reason I had to be and walk the walk and take the tour through Auschwitz. At the end of the day, we all met at the end of the tracks by Birkenau, the death camp. On the podium, the chief rabbi of Russia introduced me. I don't speak Russian, so they had a translator. And I gave a talk. After everything I've experienced, after surviving the shooting, going through the White House, the United Nations, and now walking through Auschwitz, I'm standing here at the death camp where millions of people died, lost their lives, took the last breath. And now I have a chance to talk as a survivor to everybody, to 800 students. Chances are I'll never see them again. This is my one chance to talk to them. I told them everything that happened at the shooting, the before, the during, and the after. A sound that I will never forget was when I told the students that right after the shooting, after the terrorist was neutralized, he was, he was taken into custody, I took a chair. My Both of my hands were wrapped in the prayer shawls, saturated in blood. I got up on a chair and I gave a sermon to the congregants who were huddled on the sidewalk and terror-stricken. And what I told them was, just like we read and pass over in every generation to rise up against us to take us down, but God spares us. God spared us today. God is watching over us. God is going to protect us. 
And I told everyone there at the time, during the shooting, minutes after this terrible shooting, Lori Kay's body is lying on the floor of the lobby. First responders haven't arrived yet. And I'm telling them these words. Everyone must shout right now. Am Yisrael Chai. Am Yisrael Chai. Am Yisrael Chai. The nation of Israel lives. The nation of Israel lives. The nation of Israel lives. So I told these 800 students, those were the words that I uttered moments after the terrorist attack. And I looked over these 800 students and I said, I want every single one of you right now to shout out with me these words. Am Yisrael Chai. Wow. 800 young students, the future of Judaism, screaming Am Yisrael again and again. And then I told them, next time you face anti-Semitism, grab a chair, get up on a bench, get up on a table and say Am Yisrael Chai. And think of me. Think of what we went through. Think of the courage of Am Yisrael Chai. And God is living through you. And the Jewish nation is living through you. And we are counting on you as the future of Judaism. I'll never forget that. From the lobby of my synagogue, facing a terrorist with the AR-15 being shot at with four bullets, watching Lori Kay being murdered right in front of me, standing at the end of the tracks by Auschwitz Birkenau, saw the worst darkness of humanity, and now seeing the greatest light of humanity, these 800 students. What a journey, what an experience. I ponder from those 800 students, how each one goes back to their own life and I hope that I seared into the memory, into the soul, the courage that they need to stand up to anti-Semitism. I got invited to spend Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the Jewish New Year, in Florida. There is a group that rents out a hotel and offers the two-day Rosh Hashanah services to everyone. Not only the prayer services, but also meals. So for 48 hours, we're all together. As a man of divine providence, that God decides my footsteps, when I got this invitation to partake in the Rosh Hashanah services, I was pondering, why Florida? Why me? Why am I invited there? And I said, hey, this is what God wants. Accept the invitation and talk to the 500 people that are there. Inspire them on the New Year's and do what you need to do. I asked my wife, how about spending Rosh Hashanah in Florida? And she says, if that's what God wants, that's what we do. So we accepted the invitation, still not knowing why only to find out. Attending Rosh Hashanah services during the meal 
a young boy comes over to me. He looks at me. He says, Rabbi, you and I have something in common. I said, yeah, we're Jewish. We're here at Rosh Hashanah. He says, no, Rabbi. We're both survivors of a mass shooting. And I look at him. He says, I survived the mass shooting at the high school in Parkland, Florida. I was in the classroom when the shooter began shooting. I was lying on the floor when my fellow classmate got shot in the head and died right in front of me. But I survived. And I'm thinking to myself, this is why God wanted me to be here. This is a young man, this is a young teenager who has gone through the worst hell, the worst nightmare a teenager can imagine. God sent me here to talk to him, to comfort him, to build him up, and to give him the courage he needs to go further. Just another footstep in the divine providence where God wanted me to be part of. The next morning, during services, during the prayer service on Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar, the ram's horn. And traditionally, there's an appointed rabbi who goes up on the podium in the center of the synagogue, reads the blessings, and begins blowing the sounds of the shofar. So I brought my own shofar with me. I have my favorite one that I've purchased that fits my mouth perfectly, that I'm able to easily blow out the sounds of the shofar that I've done for 40 years for my congregation. So I brought it with me just to have it. Something that never happened before just happened. The rabbi gets up, everyone is standing, ready for him to blow the shofar. He says the two first blessings. He grabs the shofar. He puts it in his mouth. And he's about to blow. But no sound is coming. He puts it again to his mouth. And he's trying to blow. It's not going. Five minutes. Frustrating. It's not going. I think to myself, that's why I'm here. I need to blow the shofar. I signal to him that I'll do it. I take the shofar. I go on and I begin blowing and it goes the easiest ever. And I was able to sound the blasts that it was so precious coming from my heart. After services, the rabbi comes over to me. He says, Rabbi Goldstein, I want you to know, I've been doing this for decades. I never, ever had this experience. I, I never was unable to blow. I don't know what happened. I can't explain it. But I have one explanation. There's an interesting law in the code of Jewish law about sounding of the shofar. 
At the synagogue, if there is someone who has done circumcision, a circumciser, who happens to be there at services, it's preferable that he blows the shofar. Why? Because he observed a commandment of circumcision, of a covenant between man to God. And whatever blood was shed during the circumcision is part of the covenant. So he said, Rabbi, you faced blood this year. I think that is why you needed to blow the shofar. I think that's why everyone needed to hear the shofar from you, because you experienced that blood. And I thought about that and realized, wow, this is just another part of the journey of the divine providence. Realizing that everything in life happens for a purpose and a reason, we're all on a mission from God. Realizing that everything that occurred during this whole experience was more miraculous than disastrous. We'll never forget the loss of Lori Lynn Gilbert Kay, but we'll also never forget the miracles that God has bestowed upon us. The numerous miracles, the what-ifs that could have happened. My wife, my daughter, my son was just minutes away from arriving in the lobby. If they only would have came a couple minutes earlier, they would have been in the lobby. My newlywed son-in-law, whose bullet grazed over his head as he was reading from the Torah. The children who got hurt only by some shrapnel. Everyone else in the sanctuary was unharmed physically. The shooter came bent on killing everybody. He wrote that he wanted to emulate the massacre that happened at the mosque in New Zealand. His intentions were to live stream it as he mows down, kills every person. He had enough ammunition to do the miracles that the heroes were able to chase the shooter out. The miracle that he surrendered, that he's in custody and will never ever have a chance to do this again to anyone. The miracle of survival. The miracle of being alive every day. We need to focus on the positivity, on the miracles that happened. I'm a changed person. My life has changed. I'll never be the same the way I was. I changed in all areas. I changed my conduct. I changed my moral compass. I changed my actions. I have repented for all my wrongdoings in the past. And I have asked God to please give me as much life as possible that I can continue on being an inspiration to all, an inspiration to all that listens, that hears my lessons. This episode, the last 12 episodes of Surviving a Mass Shooting, was prepared to inspire you, not just to listen to a story, but to listen to an inspiration and to be inspired. 
my tagline was and is a little bit of light pushes away a lot of darkness at the united nations i spoke of the idea of creating a billion good deeds the shooter was inspired over the internet god gave us the internet as a gift to use it for good things now that he used it for bad things we need to use the internet for good things and create as many good things as possible and not to underestimate your acts of goodness and kindness that will tilt the scale every bit every good deed counts and every good deed will bring light to push away the darkness let's pray and hope that this never happens again to all mass shooting survivors i feel you i know you i know what you're going through we will make it through we will get stronger and we'll continue on making this world a dwelling place for god and a better place in greater and better times amen god bless you god loves you